Hello everyone and welcome to another GamePad online panel. My name is Nigel and I'm the MyMatter co-founder and organizer of the GamePad online event. So I'm once again talking to a bunch of great creative video game professionals discussing important topics in the industry. And for the autumn event, as hopefully you know uh, by now, I've been talking to people who have just got their foot in the door at some amazing games companies and wanting to find out how they did it, basically, and what the industry is like for new starters and what you can learn from them. If you have an interest in working in the video games industry or you're just curious, this is definitely for you, if you're either one uh, of those people. So hopefully you take something uh, away from this. Now, I've been speaking to people individually. Uh, this time, I just got a bunch of people together, just rounded some people up. We're gonna uh, grill them all uh, and find out about what it's like to get into the industry. So before I start peppering people with questions, let me introduce the boxes that are here with me today. So we have um, VFX artist at Mediatonic, Chris Sayers. Chris, welcome to this virtual panel. Thank you, happy to be here. Cool, all right, we uh, we thought we lost Chris for a second, but um, he's been, you, you don't know the battle that Chris has, uh, <laughs> has fought to be here. So- um, the trenches this evening. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for your service. Um, we have next is the production assistant at the Chinese room, Saskia Bunte. Hello, Saskia. Hello. Really happy to be here. Second question, did I pronounce your name right or even close? I would say close-ish. Close-ish. Um, I mean, umlaut is always, you know, uh, I'll, I'll give you a pass on that because it's not <laughs> part of the, the English alphabet, so to speak. Okay. Um, it's Bunte. Bunte. Okay, cool. All right, we got that. Couldn't uh, pass without making sure I'm getting people's names right. Last but not least, we have an indie developer and lecturer at Sunderland College, Matt Lawson Hall. I'm hoping I pronounced your name right, but welcome, Matt. Hey, yeah, it's, it's new. Got married in summer. So, yeah, <laughs> super happy to be here. <laughs> ah, cool. Congratulations. Cool, we're breaking news on this panel. We haven't even started. <laughs> okay. Yeah, first. <laughs> uh, all right, so um, make sure uh, you check the chat. Let us know what you think in the stream chat or if you're watching this later on YouTube, uh, let us know your thoughts. You can also join our Discord and continue the discussions that we're having here today, especially if you've got questions on uh, actually getting in the industry. Uh, and as ever, uh, you're free to throw your thoughts at us on social media. We are at MyMatter on Twitter, at TV on Instagram. So let's get into this. So this first part of the discussion, this breaking into video games uh, panel is finding out exactly how everyone broke into video games. So we know, and you guys will know even more than me, uh, perhaps that the video games industry can seem a bit of a mystery to people who aren't in it, um, specifically working in the video games industry. So for those who do have an awareness of it, uh, finding an actual path in can be a challenge. And we do know that gaming is a competitive uh, sector and the hurdles will differ depending on what kind of career, what kind of role um, path that you want to follow. So that's why we're here today. Uh, everyone here has taken a different path and we want to talk to our panel about their route in because there's a saying that success leaves clues. So hopefully uh, people watching can take that away on their own journey. So let's start with these origin stories and um, yeah, find out how everyone got in. Now, I spoke to people uh, before, you know, as we were setting this up and uh, I've got to say, Chris, you have 
the uh, I'm going to say the most interesting, unexpected, definitely the most <laughs> unexpected uh, origin story. Do you want to uh, describe your non-traditional route into video games and how you went from, I believe, drama to VFX? Yes, this is my villain origin story. Oh, it's a villain origin. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's already taken a dark turn. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I grew up in southwest Wales, um, a little farm on a mountainside. I didn't know anything about games, uh, technology, didn't even know that they were made in the UK. I just was a massive gamer. Um, I went to Wales School, went to university. I ended up going and studying bachelor's uh, in drama and acting um, with creative writing as a part of it as well. But when I graduated, I, like many people, needed a job. And I applied for everything and anything that I could find. Some of the which I did manage to find was uh, recruitment. Uh, which was not something that I knew anything about previously or how to do or anything. But in my interview, they asked me, Would you, why do you think you'd be a good recruiter? And I said, I just did an acting degree. I can pretend to be a good recruiter every single day, which which they kind of liked, which was, I don't know, maybe that was a bit cocky of me, but too bad. It worked. And yeah, uh, I worked in recruitment for a while. I started in digital recruitment, uh, so I worked in technology, digital engineering, pharmaceuticals, um, things in the kind of digital space. Um as part of my job, I had to start building my own sector of business. And uh, part of that, I the only thing I knew about that was technology related was games. So I started doing some Googling and seeing if there were any games companies in the UK. And it turns out there were quite a few. So I started to try and recruit for games companies. Um, the very first client that I actually spoke to, they happened to be at looking for a visual effects artist. And I said, absolutely, I know 10 visual effects artists. I can get you a bunch of them right now finished the call and then had to Google what a visual effects artist was because I had no idea. Um, but that's recruitment. And I started to Google more about it. And I was like, wow, this is such pretty cool. I recruited games for a couple more months and a gaming recruitment company contacted me to ask to come and work for them as a specific gaming recruiter. Part of that, they sent me to the London VFX Festival to find candidates to work and to actually give to our clients. And whilst I was at the event, I figured I may as well go to some of the talks. Um, one of them was by David Rolfe, who was at Creative Assembly at the time, who did a talk all about VFX and what it was. And he finished the talk by saying, if anyone's thinking of a career in games, uh, we need more VFX artists. And I was like, cool, that's what I'm going to do then. And I worked in recruit for about another six months after that. I saved every single penny that I could. And then one day I just quit on the spot and spent seven or eight months living off my savings, spending no money if I could, um, barely scraping by, and spending every day teaching myself VFX like it was a full-time job, uh, using YouTube tutorials, online things, just trying to figure it out as best as I could, messaging people and trying to ask for help, um, going to networking events that were free because I was poor, and yeah, doing anything that I could to try and get into games. Um, I applied for like 100 plus studios. Uh, I wrote like, I have a a doc, like a folder where I have like 85 different personally written cover letters and I would say 95% of them ghosted me, you know, who can blame them? And then luckily, Metatonic decided to take a crazy, crazy chance and I got hired as a junior VFX artist in 2019 and I've been there since. I guess I can probably start at university because that was kind of the pivotal time in my life because... Before university, I I was a gamer, obviously, I played games, but I never seriously considered working in games because 
you know, nobody told me that like realistically it was a career, you know, like when you're in high school and you're thinking of applying to uni, everyone's like, oh, you're going to be a lawyer, you know, you're going to be a banker or whatever. Literally no one was ever like, hey, have you thought about working in games? So in my mind, it was just like, wasn't even a concept. Like, you know, it just like, it didn't even exist in my head. And then I moved to London to study at the London School of Economics and Political Science, where I studied social anthropology which is something I am very passionate about um, myself. And then interestingly, um, I joined the Gaming Society while I was there. And LSE as a university has like zero to do with games. Like we just do law, finance, anthropology, economics, politics. Like we just do social sciences, basically. So like we have nothing to do with games. But then interestingly, it was at LSE that I discovered that I could actually work in games. And I was like, oh, okay, this is what I want to do, actually which is quite ironic in a way. And um, through my work in the LSE Gaming Society, I met um, Keish Hirani, who is the chair of Bayman Games, which is an organization that I've been volunteering for for the past few years as the events manager. And when I look back on this journey, like I feel like a lot of it really is like serendipity. I can really see how like meeting specific people, doing things kind of put me on this path. And I didn't even realize it at that time. But when I look back now, obviously, like it all kind of makes sense. So through my work with Bayman Games, um, you know, which I've been doing um, basically since I graduated, we did an event with Sumo Digital, an online event, which was really awesome. And, you know, we, we also did a panel similar to this, chatting to lots of people about their experiences working in games. And then a few weeks after that event, uh, one of the panelists was like, oh, um, our sister studio, the Chinese Room, just launched this brand new internship program, you know, which is really awesome. And they're looking for people who want to work in games who kind of don't come from a games background. I was like, well, that's me. You know, that's literally me <laughs> looking for someone like myself. And it was crazy because, you know, up until that point, um, you know, applying for jobs in games is very difficult because... Even for entry-level roles, you know, they expected you to have a lot of experience, which just isn't the case for a lot of people, right? Especially if you're, like, you know, fresh out of uni, something like that. Um, so when I saw this, I was like, okay, I need to seriously, like, you know, you know, put effort into this application. And then, you know, I, I was able to chat to the panelist and, you know, and she introduced me to someone at the Chinese room whom I could ask a few questions and stuff. And then, you know, that person gave me some advice and, you know, I, I put in the application in the end. And it turns out that, you know, the, the entry scheme itself was hugely popular. I think they had, you know, five, 500 plus applications. They were like completely overwhelmed by like the demand for it and how popular it was going to be. It was way more popular than they expected. And then, you know, ultimately, obviously, they narrowed it down. And then I did the interview and then miraculously, they <laughs> decided to offer one of the positions to me, which, you know, I'm very happy about. And um, yeah, to me, it just seemed like such a, you know, such a crazy concept, you know, that something like this would even exist. Um, and I just feel so lucky that someone out there decided they were going to do a program like this. And then out of all of the applicants decided that, you know, they would pick me. And it's just really serendipitous, I guess, in a way. And, you know, to have ended up here. Yeah, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny how uh, having done these interviews and the more I do, the more the word lucky comes up uh, or serendipitous. Um, and it's like, like you said, looking back, you see the steps and you kind of see like at some point you you made some decisions and you took some steps and you had to sort of put yourself forward. Kind of like uh, same with Chris and to get 
those opportunities that you eventually took. So yeah, no, it's good to hear that. And um, I want to make sure I don't forget Matt in terms of like how you've gotten in and particularly for you, Matt, as, as a lecturer hearing these stories because you're working with people who would like to take this similar journey um, as these two. Like, what do you feel like hearing that? Yeah, I mean, it's super cool. I think there's, I don't think there's like a conventional way as such. Like everyone's got their their own way of getting in. For me, like I really liked like sharing knowledge with people. So, um, like at the end of my degree, I was um, worried like a lot of people about getting a job and actually being able to do it. And I'd looked into teaching at that point, but I really didn't want to go into teaching if I hadn't worked in industry first. And I managed to get an industry job, um, worked in that for a number of years, and then kind of moved over to teaching um, to kind of share it that way, uh, which was really cool. Um, and I kind of built up all my experience in teaching. And then I was like, I miss making stuff. So I kind of slowly blended over to doing um kind of like my own stuff so developing my own indie studio and now I've got this really nice kind of blend between part-time teaching and then building my own um, stuff which is really cool because I get to to share it with students so they can see what I'm doing um, they can see the stuff that I'm putting on social media I find they believe a lot of the stuff that I say which is weird to say um, but a lot of students don't necessarily always like trust like their teachers particularly at the level which I teach which is college level um, mm. like hey you know you know what are you doing to, to know if you're not actively doing it so yeah yeah that's <laughs> yeah so it's, wow. it, I don't think there is a conventional way at all I think there's um, if you if you put hard work in then you'll get stuff out which um, both both everyone in here has so um, I think it's that just goes to show yeah that's actually that's mad you say that your students or not specifically your students but students might not believe uh lecturers and teachers uh but it it yeah, obviously helps if you've if you've done the thing or you're doing the thing that you're teaching about i can i can see that uh, i can imagine uh I, I won't put words in your mouth but i've been in uh sessions where it has helped um i've met some skeptical young people but as soon as i say i'm actually doing the thing i'm telling you about you do get a certain amount of respect and that helps. Obviously that helps in the classroom setting. So that's pretty cool. And Chris and Saskia, you've mentioned in terms of like the numbers. So Saskia, you mentioned like how many people were applying for your role. Chris, you mentioned how many applications uh, you were looking to make. So it just shows like how many people are looking to get into the industry. And as I mentioned at the top, how much of a challenge it, it can be. So I do want to like bring up some of those challenges. We'll you know we'll talk about it now and and over the other parts because I think that's important to be uh, aware of. And I'm thinking like for you, Chris, as as someone who is essentially self-taught. So you came with an an acting background, which clearly served you well when you said you can uh, find some. You've got VFX artist, <laughs> uh, so that that worked out for you. But when you actually like, oh okay, I'm going to learn this. And you made use of like free resources like YouTube. Were there like any particular challenges that came up in having to teach yourself, and any missteps that you made along the way? Yeah, one hundred percent. I'd say starting, uh, it's incredibly overwhelming. I think it can feel like I don't know trying to start learning a language. You're like, how am I going to remember 
an entire language. Like, how am I going to do that? Um, and it's not even just like the language, it's the words. It's like all the rules and the grammar and stuff like that. And it's like, when you start, the um, it being so overwhelming can be, re- can be the moment that you just immediately go, you know what, this is going to be too hard. I can't do this. And I think I did a couple of times um, because I was originally trying to teach myself whilst I was working my full-time job. And it's one of the reasons why I decided I have to change tact for me, if I'm going to really throw myself at it, I'm going to work like crazy, save up every penny. And I, I saved up a couple of a grand enough to sustain me for around about nine months. Like I was like, okay, I've costed my life out. Could I, how long could I live with this amount of money without getting any more additional money in, still paying rent, paying my bills, everything? And I was like, cool, that's how long I can last. And I was like, cool, I can make the decision based on what I have to quit. I, I didn't. I wasn't living with my parents. I was. I, I didn't have any anything to fall back on. There was no security blanket. I was like, I have this amount of money. You have a time limit, Chris. You have to learn within this amount of time, or you have to get another job again. And yeah, I think when I was trying to do a long my job, it was incredibly difficult. Like you only have so many hours in the day, um, and you're tired. You're like your brain's been used all day to do recruitment stuff, and then you're having to go home and try and teach yourself the whole thing. It's tough. And I think I didn't really hit my like stride until I did quit my job where I had that focused every single day, like 8am until 6pm, five days a week, treating it like it was its own job. And then even after that point, uh, once you spent all that time, you do get to a point where you kind of plateau because you're like, I don't, I don't know what I don't know. There may be things out there, which I don't even know exist. So how can I Google them? Yeah, it's, it's super difficult. The way that I got around doing that, which is kind of like the second part of maybe why I was successful was when you get to those points where you realize, like, I don't know what I don't know, or, you know, I'm really struggling is having to be like, cool, I need someone's help. I need to, I need to find someone that can help me. The nice thing about games is that people are very, very friendly. I mean, I have, I can't think of a single example of when I've reached out to someone and asked them a question and it not been like a pleasant experience. Like, even if they're like, hey, sorry, no, I can't help you. You're like, cool, that's fine. Next person. But reaching out and finding communities of people that I could like post my work to and be like, hi, how can I make my work not bad? And that was so invaluable. And I think that's the kind of things that you have to be aware of is that you have to be incredibly disciplined at the beginning, but then that can only get you so far. And there is a point where you're going to have to kind of broaden your approach um, and change things up. And in my case, it was, okay, I need someone to help me, even if it's just like a passing comment here and there. Um, but yeah, saying, saying I was in the same route, I, saying this though, it gave me impeccable experience for the pandemic because I spent every single room, every single day in my bedroom, <laughs> like seven months straight, talking to no one and just at my computer learning VFX. Time you were ready for came this. around, I was ready. <laughs> Did you even notice? Like... I was like, nothing's changed. <laughs> uh, but no, in seriousness, no, like, it, like, it was tough. Like, uh, like I, I'm not going to lie. Like, I, it was, at points, miserable. But, like, I, w- I was like, I am I'm at a disadvantage here. Like, I have a handicap. I don't have any experience. I don't have any knowledge. If I want to take this seriously, I'm going to have to dedicate a lot of time to this. And I can't half-ass it. And it might be a bit painful sometimes. And just frustrating because you're like i feel stupid because i don't have a teacher but like, if you want it and you're like you like you were saying that like it's the hard work element of it i really feel strongly is that you don't necessarily need any particular resource you just have to keep going mm. no i i yeah definitely agree with that and i mean you say uh yeah you 
sort of didn't have a teacher. I mean, we've got a teacher here, so maybe a bit late, but he is here. <laughs> <laughs> so like Matt, I mean, <laughs> like again, sort of listening to that and, and thinking about uh, the students that you interact with, what do you think is the some of the biggest barriers that exist for people that do aspire to, to get where Chris and, and Saskia are? Um, I think sometimes it is finding out what you want to do because we get a lot of students that's like, hey, I want to work in games. Um, but then some of those students don't really want to work in games. Those students want to play games as well. And because there's so many different kind of disciplines in games, like VFX sort of thing, where a lot of people won't go, I want to work in games and I want to work in VFX sort of thing. They just want to make games. So it's kind of working out what that is and finding that passion. Like the course that I teach on is pretty cool for that because we kind of cover all areas from art to code all in kind of one blanket and at kind of a level um, level so 16 year olds um, so it's pre-university and they get to kind of sample everything there so it's a two-year course um, they get to sample everything in the first year and in the second year they specialize a little bit more so they even get a go at kind of trying to specialize and going at something right before they've even made a choice for any kind of um, university courses whereas there's a lot of people that will I don't know, do traditional A-levels and then um, apply to university courses and you know you've not had that experience that so you could apply for a I don't know a 3D game art course and actually you're more of a game designer or a, a programmer and then maybe you're not getting that uh, experience that um, you need to build up like Chris said that he did in that um, period of time that he saved up for because um, I think yeah education is like a great space for you to have that safety blanket like cause if, if Chris if you knew what you wanted to do at that age you could have done something and you would have been doing that but within education and that you wouldn't have to worry so much about the rent and things like that but then likewise it also shows that you don't have to do that as well and there are other ways in there you know your life's so long anyway like there's there's ways to kind of work work into it so I think like definitely finding your passion is um might not seem like a barrier as such I guess but it's almost like a, a like a stealth barrier I guess yeah yeah I've, I've talked a lot there that, but, yeah. <laughs> no it's good I, I think that's important to highlight the finding out what you want to do because like you said and I've seen it where you because games is fun I mean I don't think I'm breaking any big news like, like games is fun but the the problem is it's like a double-edged sword you you think it's all fun and you think oh working in games is just playing games um and I'm gonna take a guess that you guys don't all play games <laughs> uh, every day uh, in your job so there's there's work to it and I, I think particularly for young people who might be caught up in that oh I just yeah just playing games it's cool it's fun is breaking that for lack of a better term instead of fig figuring out or letting them figure out that there's more to it and then want for those that go beyond that like yeah actually I still do want to work in this then what do you want to do what are you good at where's your passion and helping them uh, along that way so uh, before we uh, bring this first segment to a close I want to stay on the the challenges aspect and look at the Again, Saskia, as you going through that entry scheme, was there any particular challenge that you found during that process? And I'm, I'm almost as concerned about like any non-technical challenges that you had to overcome. Um, do you want to talk a bit about that? Yeah, uh, I'd love to. Um, if I may, I also just want to add uh, a small point to what we were talking about before related to education, yep. um, which is that, you know, something I really struggled with 
when I was at university is that even though I had made the decision that I wanted to work in games, my university didn't have any connections. Like they didn't have any games courses, you know, they didn't have connections with the industry, no placement programs, no nothing. Obviously, you know, a lot of people nowadays are much luckier if they go to a university where they have specific game courses and they can connect you to people in the industry. Um, but I didn't have any of that. So, you know, it, not, it wasn't exactly the same as Chris. Like, I wasn't like teaching myself, but I did have to kind of build a network from scratch in a way. Um, I had to reach out to people and be like, what is it actually like to work in games? You know, like having to, to do a lot of the hard work of like talking to people to like demystify the process. So I really feel like, you know, the work that, that Matt is doing is really invaluable because, you know, it helps people like understand this stuff like so much earlier on, you know, like this kind of knowledge, you know, this kind of access to people really like irreplaceable, I guess, in a way, you know, and I think I, I definitely wouldn't have struggled as much as I did, you know, if if stuff like infrastructure like that had been in place for me. But yeah, onto, onto your question about the entry scheme, you know, I guess... One thing that I specifically dealt with, you know, non-technical, I think it was definitely imposter syndrome because, you know, I could see very clearly this was a very popular scheme. Like they posted on Twitter, people went crazy. You know, everyone's like, can I apply for this? I'm not in the UK. Can I apply for this? Is this remote? Like, you know, so many questions. There was such a huge demand for it. And I was like, oh, okay, like, you know, lots of people are going to apply for this. You know, I'm going to be one of those people, you know, and it was... You know, obviously I put a lot of pressure on myself. I was like, you know, I need to make this application like really good, like tailor it, whatever. And then, you know, I applied for it. And then, you know, eventually they did reach out to do an interview. And I was like, okay, well, at least I've passed that stage, right? So like, I'm in the like, select few now that get an interview. And then, you know, I, I did the interview with, um, with three people. And I was actually quite pleasantly surprised because they seem to actually just want to like get to know me as a person more and like how they can support me on my journey. It wasn't really like the type of interview where they're like, you know, like tell us about your accomplishments or like, you know, what would you do in this scenario? What would you do in that scenario? And like trying to like scope you out or whatever. Um, so the interview itself was very pleasant. And then, you know, I mean, I think, you know, the period after the interview is always the worst because you're always like going over, over everything in your mind. You're like, oh, did I answer that right? Like, oh, that sounded stupid. And I honestly, I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't think I was going to get it because there was just so many people. And I was like, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really know what to think. I didn't want to get my hopes up. And, you know, it just, you reach a point where you're just like, whatever happens, happens, you know, like, I, I'm just gonna not try and think about it too much. And then when I actually got it, I was like, you know, really amazed, obviously. But then, you know, even until before I started, I was still struggling a lot. I was like, you know, did they make a mistake? Like, you know, why did they pick me out of all these people? And like, you know, until you start, it just like doesn't even feel real. You know, you're like, oh, they could still like still take it back. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, you'll <laughs> get that email like, oh wait, no, we make it. There was another Saskia. Like yeah, we, exactly. <laughs> we went to the wrong one. <laughs> we just pranked you. Um, yeah. So, but then you know, I actually started, and then it became real. And then I was like, oh, okay, like I am actually doing this. And then things started to settle down a bit more. You know, I mean. You know, imposter syndrome doesn't, you know, ever like, you know, magically like disappear or whatever. But then once I actually started doing stuff, meeting people, things started to improve a lot for me, I think. Then I wasn't worried so much about like, oh, my God, am I going to do a good job? Like, you know, uh, am I going to live up to people's expectations of me or whatever? And then it was more like, okay, now it's time to learn. Now it's time to talk to people and like absorb stuff. 
And, you know, now I've gotten to a point where I'm, like, comfortable and I'm, like, doing stuff, taking on more responsibility and, you know, but it takes time, obviously, to get to that stage. And there's just, like, a lot of emotional turmoil, you know, like, beforehand and in between and stuff. And, yeah, it's just, like, it's hard out there, you know, it's hard <laughs> out there to, like, find a job and, you know, advocate for yourself and, you know, it's, the struggle is so real. So, you know, I, I'm happy that I've gotten to this point now where I'm like, you know, like settled and stuff and things are good. But yeah, you know, the struggle is real and, you know, just just want to put that out there, I guess. Mm. No, it's important because like I said, it, it, there are challenges. And I think that as best you can be aware of them, it helps you uh, face them because that, that imposter syndrome thing is, yeah, I, I, I've got no advice for that because, <laughs> yeah, I go through that um, as well. But I, I think the only thing I'd say for people who are, like looking to get in and, and feeling that is like you're not the only one uh, and it always surprises me when um hear from different people so oh you feel like that as well wait does everyone feel like that <laughs> so it is is that kind of uh shared experience almost so uh yeah it's also not a reason to not push yourself through it as as best as you can because you're here you got the <laughs> you got the job and and still managed to get to that point so We've learned a bit more about each of our panelists. Join us in the next part. In part two of this panel, you will be able to hear a bit more about what each person actually does now they are in the door. Mm -hmm.